Hi, ladies, and welcome back to The Feminine Domain. Um, I am Rebecca Klusterman, and this is Season 2, Episode 1, in the year of our Lord, 2024. So Happy New Year to all of you. Um, Before I dive into today's topic, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder of our conference that's coming up in February, February 8th, 9th, and 10th. We are going to have two women-specific breakout sessions at that conference, one on the Friday and one on the Saturday. Um, I'll be doing one entitled um, Building the Feminine Domain, and a dear sister from our church, Bailey Puckerin, will be doing one on Saturday entitled Building Through Brokenness. Um, Both of these breakout sessions will have um, a panel discussion at the end, or a Q&A at least. Um, So if you are thinking through it and you have some questions, some pressing questions, either about brokenness and suffering or anything to do with the feminine domain that we discuss on this podcast, um, feel free to send me an email, rlklusterman at gmail.com, and I can prepare a thorough answer for um, in response to those questions. I prefer to be prepared. Um, So that would be really helpful to me. It's a way that you ladies can help me out. Um, Okay, so on to today's topic. Um, Today we're going to just spend a few minutes talking about the danger in suffering, okay? And um, I use Elizabeth Elliot's definition of suffering. Um, She says, suffering is wanting something that you do not have or having something that you do not want. I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, wow, that's really broad. But that's good because there are all different kinds of sufferings. Um, some are greater, heavier burdens than others. Um, but there's really nothing that doesn't fall into one of those, either wanting something I do not have or having something that I do not want. And so as we talk about suffering today, I don't actually know all of the sufferings of those of you who are listening, Um, but God does, um, and it definitely would fall into one of those two categories. And there is a genuine danger in our suffering. The dark soil that is suffering and hardship is the perfect seedbed for all kinds of sinful seeds, which then take root and grow branches. Okay, so I'm thinking seeds of bitterness, anger, resentment, self-pity, envy, covetousness. Okay, and it's so easy for these things to be planted in the extra ripe soil of our sufferings. Um, I think that this progression is captured well by the writers of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 15. It says, See to it, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. But if we look at the context of this verse, the writer to the Hebrews calls his readers first to consider the endurance of Christ, as in verses 2 to 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. Um, so his, Christ's endurance through the suffering of the cross, and he reminds them, that the hardships they are facing are discipline from God, proving that they are legitimate children. 
That's in verses 5 to 11. And then in Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 14, it says, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. So here, before we even get to verse 15, which is where it talks about the root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble, okay? Here in verses 12 to 14, we have the context. We see weariness here. We see weakness here. We see conflict, right? There's no need to strive for peace if, if there's no conflict, right? So the point is, this exhortation against bitterness in verse 15 comes to a suffering people, a weary, burdened, conflict-laden people. And this is because it's especially tempting to go the way of bitterness when life is hard. And a good example of this is Benedict Arnold. He lived from 1740 to 1801. And I've been studying him a bit with my grade six class at KCCS. So Benedict Arnold was an officer in the American army who betrayed America to the British during the Revolutionary War. He served the cause of the American Revolution until 1779, when his allegiance dramatically shifted to the British. But why? What caused this? How does one of the most brilliant, gallant men on the American side, deeply loved and respected by George Washington himself, become a traitor and so taint his good name that his brave deeds are blotted out from the pages of history? Well, ladies, the short answer is... He responded to the sufferings of life with bitterness. And this bitterness sprung up, bearing toxic fruit that destroyed many, including Benedict Arnold himself. You see, in early 1775, Arnold's wife, Margaret, died, leaving behind their three young sons. Benedict Arnold left the boys with his sister a mere three weeks after his wife's death. And he sought to bury his anguish through participation in the war. But in December of 1775, which is the same year, mind you, so he's just lost his wife. It's now nearing the end of the year. During the Battle of Quebec, Arnold was shot in the leg and had to be carried from the battlefield. The assault on Quebec failed. Hundreds of American soldiers died and Canada remained in British hands. Although he did recover by the end of 1776, such that he was able to return to the field, he then re-injured the same leg in the Battle of Bemis Heights in 1777. So this second wounding of the same leg crippled Benedict Arnold, making him incapable of field command. So we see true suffering in this man's life. The loss of his wife crippled by a bullet, and Benedict Arnold became bitter and angry at his plight. Hurt and self-pity took over. There are actual records of him saying that he felt that he had not been promoted as he deserved, and thus the grass began to look greener on the British side. 
he actually ended up being despised by both the British and the Americans. His feelings of bitterness turned to thoughts of treachery, which led him to traitorous actions. These treasonous actions caused him to be viewed with distrust and contempt, not only by the Americans, but by everyone, including the British. It didn't turn out the way he hoped, and it didn't end well for him. And so as I was pondering this man's story and thinking about just the end of bitterness, I I thought to myself, well, how do we as Christians guard against such a traitorous turning away? Not just from earthly loyalties, as with Benedict Arnold turning against his countrymen, but how do we avoid turning away from the living God, the one most deserving of our allegiance? How do we practically uproot the sinful seeds that grow so readily in the soil of our suffering? Better yet, how do we stop these seeds from being planted in the first place? Well, I think there are some answers for us in the words of Moses to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 to 19. This is another place in scripture where we see this idea of a sinful, bitter root being mentioned. And so this is what it says. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to a sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Okay, so... What word do we hear repeated there in those two verses? It's the word beware, okay? To beware means to be on guard, to be aware, perceptive, alert, to be watchful, okay? So this is something that takes time, contemplation, work, and effort, And it also necessitates seeing things rightly. Most importantly, seeing ourselves rightly. Because we see the opposite at the end of verse 19. I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart. Right? That sentiment is evidence of a poisonous, bitter root. Because we are not safe when we go our own way when we walk in the stubbornness of our own hearts. And maybe we don't actually go about our everyday lives saying, I'm just going to stubbornly do this and I'm safe, you know. Um, But we're also not safe when we bless ourselves in other ways, such as justifying our sin or cloaking it with virtuous language, right? We don't repent of our vices if we have labeled them as virtues. It's important to note here that in times of personal pain, deep suffering, our emotions can mislead us, tempting us to lie to ourselves. This is why we see the psalmist in Psalm 119, 28 to 30, pray. He says, I weep with grief. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. 
So the psalmist knows, right, that he is not above this kind of deceitfulness, even lying to himself, you know, blessing himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe. Um, So that leads me to my first point. How how do we um, uproot or avoid the planting of these bitter seeds in the first place, these sinful seeds? The first thing is we have to know our ditches, okay? We have to remind ourselves regularly that we are not above falling into them. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Same idea, beware. Take heed lest he fall. Okay? Romans 12.3 says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this beware, take heed, sober judgment, they're all different ways of saying the same thing. Know your ditches and do not consider yourself to be above falling into them. Okay, so that's point one. Point two is we need to repent quickly when we see sinful seeds starting to embed themselves in our hearts, right? When they're in bud form, don't don't let it explode out into something insane. As soon as you see that seed, pluck it out, okay? Before it can take root. Identify the sin, name the sin, confess it, and turn from it, okay? Um, That's point two. Point three is we need to hold tightly to the truth that reveals our God of all comfort, okay? 2 Corinthians 1, 2 to 4 speaks of God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. So I don't know what suffering um, you're facing right now, but we all have trials. We all have suffering in our life. That's just part of life in a fallen world. And we need to come to the God of all comfort um, and take him at his word. Psalm 147.3 says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The psalmist says of him in Psalm 56.8, You have kept count of my tossing and put my tears in your bottle. Lamentations 3.22-24 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Um, I have a quote here to share with you ladies on this note of coming to our God of comfort. It's by Philip Bennett Power. Okay, So he lived from 1822 to 1899. Um, and he was well acquainted with suffering. He was um, bedridden for many years of his life. And this is what he says. He says, get firmly convinced that God, God himself, God the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a God of comfort. Read the many declarations which he has given of himself over and over again until you ingrain the idea into your heart. Believe that comfort is a thing he thinks about values and knows the need of to us do not look anywhere else 
for your prime and first comfort. I do not deny that there is much comfort in friends, in happy feelings, in books, in many of the surrounding circumstances which prove um, to alleviate illness. But I want you to gather in your thoughts and feel that the only sure comfort is with God. Finally, expect comfort from God. Man's expectation is generally a prelude to God's action. We must first open our mouth and then he will fill it. We must fill the water pots up to the brim, seeing that he is going to turn all of this water into the good wine. Let these texts, speaking of scriptural texts, put you into the proper attitude of expectation. Say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Let God know that there is somebody looking to him for comfort, some poor child of his in want, and that it is you. And I found that so helpful, and I'm just going to... Um, give you a few references and I'll also write these out in the show notes but Jeremiah 31 13 Hosea 2 14 Isaiah 51 12 and even Genesis 49 verses 22 to 26 which actually speaks of the afflictions faced by Joseph um, in the land of Egypt all of these are great texts to go to to put us into a proper attitude of expectation that our God, the God of comfort, will meet us there when we come to him, when we look to him for the comfort that only he can give. So that's point three. We need to hold tight to the truth that reveals our God of all comfort. And then finally, we need to surround ourselves with people who refuse to let us turn away from the Lord our God. You see, this is another temptation that we face in a unique way in suffering. Seeking comfort by surrounding ourselves with those who tell us what feels good. Because suffering doesn't feel good, right? Um, but Second Timothy 4, 3-5, to Paul warns, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away. There it is again, the turning away. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So we see here from Paul, that endurance through suffering and sober-mindedness are set forward as the antidote to this turning away, wandering off, right? A huge part of this remaining sober-minded and patiently enduring through trials is determined by who we are standing shoulder to shoulder with as the waves of suffering roll over us, okay? In the case of Benedict Arnold, the crippled, hardship-stricken man married a smart, beautiful, vivacious loyalist, that means a British sympathizer, named Peggy Shippen. Okay? He was actually twice her age when they married in 1779. And it is no coincidence, ladies, that it was one month, just a mere one month after their wedding, 
that Benedict Arnold made his first traitorous contact with the British. We need to surround ourselves with people who exhort us every day so that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13, so we do not turn away from the right path. In my life, my husband is this for me, my fellowship group at Hill City Baptist Church, um, many faithful brothers and sisters who aren't even specifically in my fellowship group. I think of our elders and the elders' wives. I think of the amazing team of Christians that I work with at KCCS, but other Christians are absolutely crucial in our battle against unbelief, a fight that intensifies in our times of suffering. Okay, so just to go over those four points again, how do we avoid this root of bitterness? First, we need to know our ditches. We need to repent quickly when we see those sinful seeds starting to embed themselves in our hearts. We need to come to the God of all comfort, expecting that he will help us in our time of need. And point four, we need to surround ourselves with people who refuse to let us turn away from the Lord our God. So in closing, I'm just going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. It says here, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's all for today, ladies. God bless you all. Until next time.